Hello, everyone. Um, my name's Safraz Manzor. I'm really pleased to be uh, chairing this event. Um, next Monday is going to be apparently 170 years exactly since the first publication of Jane Eyre. Um, Charlotte Bronte's novel has been adapted in the, in the intervening years into eight films, 10 TV series, and uh, 12 theatre productions. And the latest one of that <laughs> is, uh, is the one which began, I think, two years ago at the National, then toured and has come back to the National uh, with a new cast. And we've got two of the cast here now. We've got Nadia Clifford, who plays the eponymous um, Jane Eyre, and uh, Tim Tillap, who plays uh, Mr. Rochester. So give them both a warm hand before we start. Um, so let's just start firstly, before we talk about the production, about the book and what, if anything, the book meant to you. Uh, let's start with I first read the book when I was about 14 and I completely fell in love with it, mainly because I was a fairly dramatic teenager who had massive emotions and didn't really know how to articulate them. And I remember reading how... Jane expressed herself and just thinking, yes, that's it. That's how it feels to be in love. And that's how it feels to be annoyed and angry and sort of feel like you haven't got any recourse to really express yourself in the world. Um, and then I read it again at 21 um, and felt all of those things exactly the same. And I think that one of the wonderful things about the novel is that every time you read it, you see something else in it. So when we sat down at the beginning of rehearsals to read the book again... Let's not group, go... Let, that'll be my second question. Sorry, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, We've got an hour, there don't was, worry. <laughs> there, was, there was so much more that I saw in it. And so, yeah, I just kind of fall a bit deeper in love with it every time I read it. And am I right in saying because you, you grew up in Manchester and yes. you then became a bit of a, um, a Bronte freak? I mean, I think freak is a strong word. Okay. Um, I think enthusiast is probably a bit kinder. Um, so, yeah, a nerd. Thank you, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just love them. They're amazing. Or every single sister, maybe not so much Anne, but still every single sister, I think what they've written is incredible. If you take it in the context of the time, of where they were living, how they were living, their sex, and what they ended up producing... Um, it was amazing, and so me and my mum a few times have visited the parsonage and kind of, yeah, just wandered around the moors and tried to imagine what it might have been like, and I'm not ashamed to say that, so, yeah. I'm just, could you just put your hands up if you've seen this production already? Okay, so more people are about to see it, I think, than we'll have seen. Okay, um, and Tim, so did you have a similar relationship to the book? I, I'm ashamed to say I didn't. I... I, I um, yeah, I'm ashamed to say that I, I didn't know the novel at all. Um, I obviously knew of it, and I had, I'd, I'd seen a film version of it. Was it on your sort of to-do list? On, yeah, it was one of those classics that I'd just not got around to. Um, but I, as soon as I had the audition for it, I started to read it, and I was really, I mean, I, I was just so struck by her voice. It was, it was quite unexpected to me how strong... Uh, an impact it had on me just on the first reading I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that it was written in the first person it's and her voice is so engaging and arresting and it's I, I thought it was a complete 
page turner. I was really, really excited by it. And, and in terms of your expectations of, you know, in terms of what the film adaptations have been like or what it means in popular culture, how different was that from, the, from what you read? Well, I was really struck by the fact that it was a life of, right from her birth through to her adulthood and her motherhood. Um, I didn't appreciate before reading it that it was this life story because I think so many of the novels do just focus on the Rochester Jane love story or they get to those... You mean the productions and adaptations? The productions, yeah, yeah. adaptations. Um, I'd seen a, f a film. I'd seen. A, I've, I've seen. I've seen the Orson Welles version, and it's. And it seems to be just all about Rochester, really. As soon as she arrives at Thornfield Hall, Orson Welles kind of takes charge and takes over and and beguiles her. And is this how the agent sold you this particular? Yes, exactly. Thing? I don't know. I, you know I'm very disappointed that yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the audition process. So, as somebody who was mired in the book and it meant something to you and, and you'd read it. Did that make the idea of auditioning exciting and thrilling? But it must have also made it a bit nervous because this meant so much to you. Yeah, I think I did feel a bit overwhelmed with the responsibility of portraying a character that I know for me had been really important in terms of my growing up, really, and my relationship with Jane and what she sort of meant to me and I knew that she sort of was held in such high esteem by so many people and so there's quite a lot of pressure that comes with that and so when because I the audition process was quite uh involved with Sally so I had three rounds of auditions and um I think before the first one I just I remember being sat with my mum and going through lines in the park and and just having to let go of all of the expectations and all of the fear of failing because ultimately when you go into an audition or when you begin the process of rehearsing a part you have to fail you have to make mistakes and you have to um, get it wrong in order to find out where you're going and if you're afraid to do that then it just means that you're not willing to explore fully and I think that yeah, I just decided, right, I'm definitely going to get this wrong. It's definitely going to be pants. I'm definitely not going to do it as well as I would like to. But if I'm given the opportunity to go further with it, hopefully I'll get somewhere. But did it, did it feel, was it more intimidating because it was something that you loved then? Yeah, it was. It was. Because I think that as an actor, you often have that gremlin on your shoulder that whenever you say something, it says, well, that wasn't very good wouldn't have done it like that. And sort of always having that critical eye outside of yourself. And I think that when you're really allowing yourself to be creative, you let go of that um, self-criticism. And I think that because I loved it, I sort of have to embrace that love as a really positive force in channeling Jane, however she was going to come out, and that I had to give myself a break that, you know, I would do my best and I would do my damnedest to make sure that she was as good as she could be. And you've said that the audition process was one of the most rigorous... It was just, it was quite long, yeah. I was, quite often you go in for an audition and you read the scene a couple of times and then it's thanks very much and we'll be in touch. But this, Sally, when I met for this, it kind of went on for over an hour and I was so, and it felt like we were, it felt like I already had the part. And I, maybe that's quite a good tactic to kind of just really relax into it and it felt like a rehearsal. And she, I think, really, I, I think she just really wanted to uh, 
explore. The, there's a lot to explore with this particular show as well, just to make sure that you're sort of physically um, kind of, well, in, into physical theatre in a way. Um, so I was climbing on chairs and acting out, riding the horse, and, and, and then we were kind of going deep into scenes. And yeah, it was, it was rigorous. Yeah. You had to audition with one of the most sort of iconic speeches, didn't you? Is that one of the things that you oh did? Oh, God, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so they, you know, before you have an audition, they ask you to read the script and then they, you know, give you scenes to prepare. And one of the scenes was um, a child Jane scene at the very beginning when she's confronting Mr. Fairfax. But the other scene was the proposal scene with Mr. Rochester, which is arguably the kind of zenith of Jane's journey and in, in terms of her relationship with Rochester, uh, where she is initially sort of rejecting what she perceives as his kind of advances to, for her to stay and watch him get married to Blanche and kind of just remain this f shadowy figure that he keeps as a little pet. And so she rejects him. And so it's, it's, it's about as big as you can go. And I remember saying to Sally, I kind of did it, and she kind of went, mm-hmm, go to 10. And no, no one ever really says that as a director because they're afraid that you'll just, your head will explode. So she <laughs> said, go to 10. I was, I was are, you, are you sure? And she said, yeah. And I went to 10. And at the end, there was just this kind of silence. And she just went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about how, how it felt to get the part and where were you? Uh, so I was on my way in Soho to meet my friend for a drink because I knew that I'd need it after the audition. And um, it was about 20 minutes after I'd left. And my agent called me and said that I got the part. And I must have looked absolutely insane because I just screamed. I was in the middle of Soho near Chinatown and I just screamed and I went down onto my knees. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm making it up, but I'm absolutely not because I was so, oh God, the relief and the excitement. And I just, even thinking about it now, like I feel quite emotional. It was just incredible. And then, um, yeah, just burst into tears. And uh, that was, yeah, a, a day I definitely won't forget. <laughs> and then the emergency ambulance. Was exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then I was carted away. So. <laughs> we were talking uh, before about, behind, about when you try and play a character, you have to try and bring something of yourself. So you're saying that Sally Cookson said, you have to try and bring something of yourself. So talk a little bit about how you kind of accessed and got got closer to, the, to Mr. Rochester? Well, uh, um, I, I'd like to say that I, I don't think I'm very like Mr. Rochester. So uh, <laughs> I, I, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a very troubled, complex, um, quite irate man. And he's an awful lot of um, wrong turns. He's taken a lot of wrong turns in his life and he feels quite... Um, he feels as though life has dealt him a bad deal, um, particularly with... Uh, but, and he's also a very unsympathetic character, obviously. So he's, you know, readers and viewers will always, I think, have different opinions of Rochester. Um, so as an actor, I just had to come at it from how I felt he was sort of portrayed in the book. And he's, Jane obviously describes him an awful lot in the book as being incred incredibly rude, incredibly blunt. And I don't think I am Tim. I don't think Tim is particularly like that. I hope I'm not. But, but it's quite fun as an actor to find those 
that moment. And obviously, you know, I, I certainly do know people who have a kind of very coarse delivery and a kind of directness that takes you aback. And uh, I somehow managed to find that and, and just en and enjoyed playing with it and discovering it more. And I know in rehearsals, actually, Sally would often say, Tim, you're smiling. You're, you're sm the, stop smiling. Stop, so, you know, that's too charming. Stop, stop being charming. So she had to kind of really just get, get that out and just go, go more for the, and how the bolshiness and, and the abruptness. And you hadn't, neither of you had seen the earlier production, is that right? And was that helpful then? Yeah, I think I think it was really helpful. I was actually when it was here, I was also here in another play, and so I just um, schedule-wise couldn't see it, um, and really wanted to. And so I think that yeah, when when I then got the part, I was so so grateful that I hadn't because I think that with the greatest will in the world, you're never going to be able to get out of your head. Because obviously the production came out and it was amazingly successful and the audience reactions were incredible. Um, and so I think that when you're really struck by someone's performance or the ensemble's performance or that atmosphere that was created, there's always going to be a part of you that really wants to bring some of that in. And actually you need to start afresh and bring your own energy. And I think because we all actually there's only one person in the ensemble who'd seen the production. So none of us had anything to go by apart from it was a, a fresh script. It was a fresh kind of um, challenge for all of us. And I think that we built our own take on it and our own insights and our and own... And developed our own relationships. Exactly. And came the, you know, the, the way we work together, Nadia and I, I'm sure, is very different to how Madeline and Felix, who played Jane and Rochester, originally you know, we are different human beings, so we kind of react differently to mm. one another. But I th and I think it is very useful not having seen it, actually. And had you seen the, the Fassbender, the film? With I the had film? seen that, yeah. So I'm just that. trying to channel him as much as possible. That's all yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Just trying to channel I'm probably being incredibly... Honest. No, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. I, 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 it, the Fassbender, that, that version of Jane Eyre is sort of so, so different to our version. And I think it's just really testament to the novel that... It's less that physical theatre. Less physical, yeah. yeah. There are yeah. fewer ladders yeah. in that, yeah. yeah. And I think, and, I think and more all, horses. All the worse for it. Yeah, yeah, so many horses. They're everywhere. <laughs> Let's talk about the physical thing. We're going to talk about your character, obviously. But mm. th th there is a huge the, 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 the sense of music, the sense of physicality, the sense almost of, 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 of choreography. That's a real part of this as well. So that accesses a different skill set than just your standard acting ones. Was that how did how did you respond to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think. From my perspective, it, yeah, it's a very difficult show um, in terms of energy levels because A, I never leave the stage. B, I've got to kind of transform from baby Jane to child Jane to adult Jane to mother Jane. Um, and the costumes, I'm wearing kind of full skirts um, and a corset. And there's lots and lots of ladders, and I haven't counted the number of times that I've gone up and down them, but it's got to be over a hundred. I know we've been meaning, we've been meaning. I've been to meaning to count, and I still we've haven't. Been meaning to wear uh, one of those Pedometer. pedometers um, in our, in our but mic packs. Right? We haven't <laughs> done that yet to, to see who, yeah, how many steps you really do. When I when I started, um, uh, Sally really wanted me to start with the physical, so 
never forgetting, forgetting the physical. Because I think that when you've got a text, you sort of, you want to get that down, you want to get down in your voice, and you work very kind of, I guess, in a cerebral level of making sure that emotionally you're chiming into the character. But right from the get-go, whenever we were, because we rehearsed on the set, Sally wanted to make sure that everything I said was not only kind of connected here, but was connected heart and body. And that's a really quite, in some ways, quite laborious way to work because it feels like you're kind of walking through treacle because you're sort of just about getting your lines and then you've got to think about where your foot's going and then you've got to make sure the emotions are coming from your guts and that, you know, your voice is, the register is down here and then when it's child in, it's up here and kind of a lot of spinning plates. And I remember lots and lots of evenings getting home from rehearsals and feeling really, really broken, really broken. And um, I think that in hindsight, you can be really grateful for that and say, yes, you know, it made the character who she was. But at the time, it was horrible. It was so hard and um, really not sure if I would get there. And I think that there was one um, improvisation in particular where it was me and Sally and ben Benji, who's the composer. So he was on the piano responding to what I was doing. Dan, who's the movement director, was sort of, had given me some guidance and was watching what I was doing. And Sally kind of gave me some instructions and I had to go to a really dark place um, in, in my psyche in order to get to Jane's point in the journey after she leaves Rochester, when she's leaving Thornfield. Um, and I really just completely and utterly fell apart and it was a really um, sobering moment where you're not trying to affect that emotion where it really just bubbles out of you and I came home and I just felt completely ruined and I think that something shifted after that um, after that improvisation because I'd opened up this box physically and emotionally that I maybe was a bit scared of touching because I wasn't sure what would happen. It's like Pandora's box and hopefully there's hope inside, but if there isn't, then you're really, yeah, fucked. <laughs> um, so uh, after that, it really shifted something and physically everything just came a lot easier because I'd found, I'd keyed into that sort of um, anchor point. But it's a very demanding role for both of you because it's not just a role, it's roles because it's an ensemble. So mm. you're both, you're never off, are you? And so you're playing lots of different things. Yeah, I, I, I play more than one role. I play John Reed at the beginning and I play one of the Lowood schoolgirls. I don't have much to say as a Lowood schoolgirl and I, my beard is still present. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do, I, so, it's, it's, sort of, it's a very physical show for everybody in the cast. Um, I do, however, I mean, I, I have to say, I do get 20 minutes off whilst Jane's flirting with Sinjin. So um, I'm sat in my dressing room having a cup of tea then <laughs> before I come back. Um, so I think I do probably have it a little bit easier. But, it's, it, but the physicality and, and the set, it really does help, actually. F going from, f so Rochester doesn't arrive for, uh, you know, sort of, there's a good hour before he arrives into the, into the play. Um, and... He arrives, obviously, it's the, the, the famous horse, you know, falling off the horse scene, um, famous literary scene, and, and we, we do it. It's so exciting, and it's such a brilliant way to just kind of begin Rochester and get into that character just by kind of, right, just kind of hanging off that ladder and then falling 
onto the set and expletives falling out of my mouth. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it helps. The physicality really does help just kind of <coughs> drive, the, drive the narrative forward, I think. I was, um, have you seen Lady Macbeth? I don't know if you've seen the film Lady Macbeth. No, I haven't. No. Um, quite yeah. yeah, well, Florence Pugh, who's in it, um, I think it's sort of set in the late 19th century. Um, and I did an interview with her, and she was talking about the way, the moment that she put on the corset, she was able to sort of use that in terms of acting to sort of access the sense of restriction mm. in her character's mm. life. And you have a moment when you're getting dressed in there. Yeah. And I was just wondering how you access the kind of restrictive aspects to Jane's life. Um, well, physically, having the corset, so there's this, this really beautiful kind of passage of music and movement where um, Jane moves from a 10-year-old to an adult. And the ensemble, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, helped me to get dressed and to kind of um, don all of the trappings and accoutrements of womanhood at the time, which basically meant that you were incredibly restricted and you had um, very little freedom of movement. And it makes you sit in a very different way. And it, it, it feels like you're putting on a uniform of, I suppose it's like your uniform of gender. Because um, I, as an actor, I have to move in a completely different way to the guys who are on the set. Um, and so in, in addition to that, I probably do move up and down the ladders the most. And I think that Sally wanted, because there were so many um, obstacles in Jane's along Jane's journey into becoming who she finally does. Um, and so Sally wanted that to be not only happening with the text, but to visually see her struggling through the story, um, particularly towards the end. So in the storm scene, which is towards the end of the play, and I've sort of run around the set twice, shouted at the top of my lungs at a passing coachman to try and get me out of um, Thornfield then having to run on the spot as fast as I can. And then by the time I finish that whole sequence, I'm so tired <laughs> that, that, that it really is, I have really have to dig into my boots to find the resolves to keep going. And that is what Jane has to do. And so I think that it's really important to Sally that there is that sincerity and there isn't that affectation of, you know, tiredness or, needing to build that strong resolve it's really there because as an actor if I step back on it then I don't know if I'll make it through to the end I, w I asked him about how he kind of got himself into uh, Mr. Mr. Rochester's state of mind how did you go about it in terms of the character because we were talking about when you read it at 14, is the person that you're playing I guess it's, it's, it's going to be a different version of it than the person you read when you were 14 to some extent Yes, I think I'd, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to think it is because um, I think when I was fourteen, I sort of I put her on a bit of a pedestal and I idealised her quite a lot. And I think that she is flawed, and that's what makes her so wonderfully human, and I think so relatable because you know she's a bit of a snob and she does have a temper and she doesn't always know when to bite her tongue and I think that that's what makes her 
so brilliant and stops her from being too earnest and too saccharine. And I think that um, I'm really lucky because, as Tim said, it's told in the first person. So it's like having loads and loads and loads of notes from the person you're supposed to be playing. What am I thinking? Great, she's told me what I'm thinking. That's so <laughs> helpful. Um, so I kind of just just looking at the text and I read it through a couple of times before we started rehearsals and was furiously highlighting and underlining and trying to um, make sure that I'd revised enough in order to make sure that it was true to the novel. And then I just had to let all of that go once we entered rehearsals because it was about finding my anger and my lust and um, my jealousy and seeing if that, that chimed enough with Jane, but it had to come from a true place in me. And had you, I mean, this production really stresses the, the feminist text version mm. of, of, of Jane. Did you, had you picked up on that before or did it feel? I think when I'd read it before, I hadn't necessarily picked up on it being feminist. I just thought it was right. And I just thought, yeah, that makes sense. And that is how things should be. And I think that I didn't really clock into the kind of like the political associations because that was just how I viewed the world. So I was sort of already a feminist and I hadn't, you know, got my card yet. Um, so, so I think that because what's so great, I think it is a feminist text, but I think it's just a text about justice. It's a text about what it means to be allowed to realize your potential no matter who you are, whether you're female, whether you're male, whether you're poor, whether you have gone to the right school, um, whether you're from the north of England. Um, and I think that when I read the book, it feels like it's speaking about equality for everyone, not just because you're female, but because you're human and you're part of society and everybody has the right to be heard. Did, 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 you, did you feel that Mr. Rochester was equally trapped in his own way? Yeah. I, I, as I say, he's, he's, he's a difficult character to sympathise with because of his treatment of, of Bertha, which is truly unforgivable. Um, but I think when you look at the reasons that he behaves the way he does and the, the situation that he found himself in when he is sent to Jamaica to marry this um, woman that he'd never met before. He is essentially engaged, he's, he's, he marries Bertha because of a, uh, it's an arranged marriage and it's a financial transaction. Bertha's father will pay his father 30,000 pounds, which is an enormous amount of money in those days. And he has no choice in the matter and he, he goes along with it and then he sort of finds himself in this desperately unhappy and difficult situation and he doesn't know how to deal with it. So I think the book and I think Charlotte Bronte is, and, and then everything that he does after that is misguided, certainly, but it's him trying to find some personal freedom and find some kind of personal agency as well. And he, so I think it's a book that, is rallying against patriarchy and the 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 main shackles of patriarchy are on women and the uh, the lack of freedom um, for women. But but there are obviously um, 
disadvantages for men as well in that system. The whole system is broken, mm. I think, is what Charlotte Bronze is saying. And I think Rochester is the kind of the male, um, exasperated embodiment of that. Talk a little bit about the relationship between the two, because what's quite interesting is even though there's an imbalance of power, the actual relationship doesn't feel that imbalanced, does it? No, I, th I think... Yeah. I think because obviously Mr. Rochester is Jane's employer and so straight away she there is you know a power imbalance and she is kind of subservient to him in terms of you know he pays her salary but it, but he forgets that I mean in one of the scenes he says oh I pay your salary don't I yeah. he, he 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 sort of he is a he is Jane's master and the master of Thornfield Hall but he he kind of doesn't even like that he doesn't spend very much time at Thornfield. Yeah. He doesn't enjoy being an employer, I don't think. He's not a yeah. good employer. And yeah. I think when, when they meet, he's just struck by her. He thinks she's otherworldly and, and unlike anything and anybody that she's met, he's met before. And there's a kind of, there's this connection. There's the, I think that as soon as they meet, there's that recognition of like for like and there's an immediate electricity and there's an immediate curiosity because they've never met someone who's been able to match them in terms of wit and who's been and able to challenge well. them and honesty exactly they're so blunt and they're so I, I just think they really get each other's blood going and pumping and, it, and it's really amazing particularly because at the time there wasn't a huge amount, particularly for Jane, there wasn't a huge amount to do. She's bored for a lot of the day. And then this <laughs> amazingly kind of... Um, strange man. Strange man yeah. comes into her, <laughs> into her world. And I think that, you know, he's probably never been challenged on the, his behaviour, the way that she challenges him. And I think that when the proposal scene happens and she's talking about how she feels about him and separating herself out from the role of governess and speaking to him as an individual, she only will accept kind of equal footing and, e you know, a, a quality of treatment between be the two of them. Woman. Exactly. Um, and it's really interesting because in the book, up until they're married, she won't let him buy anything for her. She won't become one of his kept women because he's had very, you know, Celine Varane, various different women um, after marrying Bertha, who he's had kind of dalliances with. And he's told Jane about how he showered them with gifts and how they were incredibly ungrateful. So she's wise to the fact that he has this quirk for wanting to perhaps subconsciously take ownership by giving these women physical and material gifts and kind of exercising his um, power through the fact that he is economically in a much more secure situation. And so Jane's wise to that and she stops him from going down that road because she wants to continue that relationship of equals. Um, and I think that if she were to allow herself to be kind of uh, spoilt by him, then he would stop respecting her. You talked a bit earlier about the uh, the book being in the first person and therefore you having quite a lot of sort of um, direct notes as to what's going on inside um, inside the character. And on stage, there's quite an interesting device, isn't there, with your internal thoughts. Mm. Um, how, explain that, and, but also talk about how that, how that helps you or doesn't help you in terms of playing the role. 
So, um, in, in the novel, there are lots and lots of sections where Jane sort of has this stream of consciousness where she's talking to herself as though she's kind of writing in her diary and trying to reason or reason out or sound out what's going on with Rochester and, you know, this uncanny feeling that something's amiss in Thornfield, but she can't put her finger on it. Um, and so the way that we... Dis and that is such a staple of the novel all the way through. She has these arguments with herself and these kind of big, long debates with herself. So the way that we do it on stage is the ensemble um, become my consciousness so I will speak to them and they're almost like a Greek chorus that come in with different points of view that sometimes agree and sometimes disagree with what Jane is thinking and sometimes they're quite sobering and will tell her to kind of just have a word with herself and that was actually really helpful for me as an actor because because I never leave the stage I'm kind of either by myself or interacting with various different characters. So having those moments where it's almost like there's some breath injected because everything moves at such a lick. It's so fast, the scenes change so much that when those scenes have kind of a little bit of stillness and it's like you're suspended in between one thing happening and the next thing uh, taking place. And it's like a time of reflection, which I suppose is what a Greek chorus is for, that just allows me, Nadia, as the actor, to kind of just just garner my thoughts a little bit and reflect on what's happened before I move into the next situation. Um, and I think that it's also, it's just really helpful to have five people who are stood, for better or worse, kind of being your cheer cheerleaders <laughs> halfway through the show. So it's quite a witty, it's, it's quite witty, isn't it? The way you kind of hear and, the kind yeah. of the, the conflicting viewpoints of your own mind, I think is it's quite nice for the audience to quite an unusual way of of getting inside Jane's head. Yeah. And yeah. the other aspect is obviously the music. Um, talk a little bit about your how you kind of how the music weaves through and then how the how that helps you or doesn't help you in terms of acting? I mean, the, mu the music is a huge part of the production and Benji Bauer, our composer, um, and was originally in the band when it was first on here and at, at Bristol Ovic. Um, and he, when we rehearsed, he was, he was there rehearsing a new band, just insanely talented trio um, of Dave, Alex and Matt, who play a whole host of instruments and um, from different different genres and styles of music and they again propel the 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 music sort of propels us through the story in yeah. interesting ways and i think the music reflects certainly jane's psychological development yeah and it's sort of scored it's a bit like a film it's it's m the music is used in the way that it's used in film and that's really helpful because it just is, for as an audience, I think, as a sensory experience, it becomes so much fuller and you're given time to really, um, like as an actor, even just listening to it, there are points, particularly towards the end, when Jane is reunited with Rochester and there are these strings that come in and it's just <laughs> right down in the <laughs> bottom of your stomach. And I don't even have to do anything and I'm just kind of in floods of tears and I can feel that sort of, it's just the delicacy and it's, and it's um, something that only music can do. 
Well, it's also very, should be pointed out, a key element is Mel, Melanie Marshall, who plays Bertha. Um, uh, I hope that's not a spoiler. Yeah, you can say <laughs> um, But anyway, but, but she is, is a really, it's a hugely <coughs> important part of this production, I think, because she also, she's a, she's a sort of chorus and a, a voice. She's got the most incredible singing voice and she she's singing right from the start of the show through to the end various different styles again operatic jazz but it's i think it's a really interesting element of of our show that bertha's presence is present throughout jane's story and trying to build that link between Jane and Bertha mm. um, and having it done musically in that way I think is really beautiful so she's a kind of haunting presence mm. I'm pretty sure she wasn't in the Fassbender film either she wasn't no, no. no. Um, so that's another one we've got on so <laughs> we're talking about how it's 170 years on um, in terms of how much things have changed or haven't changed for the characters and people like that. How contemporary, how relevant do you feel that this story still is? Um, I think it's massively relevant. There's been so many things that have happened, even just in the course of the tour, that have made us all rethink and revisit the meaning of what Charlotte wrote. You know, there's... When... Um, the tragedy happened in Manchester, Manchester Arena, and we were on tour. And there's a scene between uh, Jane and Helen where Helen's talking about being able to differentiate between a criminal and his crime and that there are no evil people, there are only evil deeds. And I think that, particularly at the moment, um, that feels so relevant and so important to remember. Um, and I think that when people are afraid, it feels really instinctual to look for blame and to look for people who are root causes of the evils of the world. And I think that it's just way more complicated than that. And I think that um, it's, a, it's a book that talks about how if you want to transcend your circumstances, you have to work really, really hard. Um, and even then, you might not get there. Um, and that, you know, if, you, if you're working, if you're trying to stem the tide and you're working against things that are in your favor, you know, Jane doesn't have, she gets an education, which at the moment, I would say, is becoming increasingly difficult unless you've got a huge amount of money. Um, and but she does get an education and that opens doors for her that she would never have had otherwise. Um, but because she's a woman, she, there's certain avenues that aren't open to her. And there are many places in the world where women are still treated as second-class citizens. And that's still very, very pertinent. And I think that the idea of feminism as we know it in the Western world is definitely not the way that it is translated to many, many other places in the world. Um, and so I think that this would be a book that if it was read in Saudi Arabia would, you know, would probably be ousted. And, and if you were caught reading it, it would be, you'd be in trouble. Um, and so I think that it's, 
every time I read it, every character's plight or particular situation or role, you know, Brocklehurst being this kind of maniacal, horrible, horrible sort of totalitarian regime at Lowood. I think we know that that's going on in quite a few places. And so, you know, I think that it's with really, really good writing, it's always going to be relevant. Um, and I think that that's really true of this book. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's a book full of great wisdom as well. And I think, for, for example, Helen, I think in, in the novel and, and in, the, in the play, in our production, the scenes between Helen and Jane are, Helen is Jane's great friend in life, really, who does provide Jane with some real moments of wisdom. We're mm. all burdened by faults in this mm. world and mm. realizing our faults and, and, and everything you were saying there about the criminal and his crimes being sort of set. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a very powerful, strong message that this novel gives and it's, it's, it's incredibly relevant now. Mm. Nadia likes Jane Eyre, I would say, as a character. Do you like Mr. Rochester? Um, I, yeah, I do, I do like Rochester. I, 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 think he's, I think he's very funny. I think he's, I think he's, he's very, um, I, like, I like his straightforwardness, his directness. I, I feel sad for him because he's clearly um, a very angry, troubled man. Um, I don't like what he's done. You know, I don't like the fact that he's locked his wife in the attic. Um, it, but, I th but as I was saying earlier, I think the society that he's lived, lived in and the consequences of this arranged marriage that he finds himself in have, has led him down a very, very dark path. Um, and he's troubled, but I think there's lots to like about him. So I don't like him entirely, and, or I don't like everything that he does or stands for, but I think there's lots to like and love about him. I was going to say, what did you find the most challenging thing in terms of playing this? Was it the physicality? Was it the psychological? What did you, what, having done it now, what has been the thing that's been the hardest for you? Um, I think... I'm going to let Tim answer that first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the most challenging thing about play about this production, um, playing these parts. If there isn't one, that's fine. No, I don't. I mean, I, I, I've, I, I, you know, I've, it's been a hugely enjoyable and rewarding experience, to be honest, to to dis discover the this 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 novel and this story, um, and to play it for. Um, audiences around the country. It was it, one of the great things about doing this was taking it to Yorkshire, back to Bronte mm. County, and mm. and um, just kind of getting the lovely responses there. From there's obviously a real deep love. That's an amazing segue from the question. Sorry, yeah, it it's is. So it's good. not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think I think the thing that the thing that I found most challenging is uh, the stamina that I've needed to sustain it because it's kind of all very well discovering it in rehearsals and being like, great, wicked, sorted. Then having to sustain that from the end of March all the way through to today, doing eight shows a week, twice 
a day for two days a week has not been easy. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think I think maintaining the kind of the the stamina and the um, yeah. And you were saying about not being able to drink. Was it was it? Yeah. So I mean. So we've worked out that I do 24 hours of performing through the week and then I have to stop drinking, you don't actually know this, I have to stop drinking water an hour before the show because otherwise I'll need to go to the toilet in the first half and if I need to go to the loo, then the first half ends up getting very, very fast because I need to get through it so that I can get off in time. Um, and so, yeah, it's like I have all of these kind of pre-show rituals that... Um, I, yeah, I've, I've had to stand by, otherwise it becomes a fairly uncomfortable show for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you've enjoyed um, hearing, uh, hearing from these two. Please join me in thanking Nadia Clifford and Tim Dillard. <laughs>